welcome listeners to Season 4, Episode 11 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And this week we're watching the remake of a 70s horror classic, The Amityville Horror from 2005. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to keep you up while chopping wood. This episode will contain discussion on domestic violence, historical treatment of indigenous peoples, animal death, and child death. If any of these things, there are a lot of them, you need to not hear today, feel free to skip this episode. So I made the drink this week. Yes. And I call it too much firewood. Ooh. Because much like the obsession of the guys in the last two movies, I'm obsessed with the wood chopping scene, apparently. <laughs> it's all I can talk about now. <laughs> I uh, mean, it is a very heavily prevalent theme in both of the films. Yes, this this concoction represents my distance from the rest of my family. So this is a primarily whiskey and honey drink. And I wanted to use maple syrup, but we don't have real maple syrup. We just have the like glucose flavoring stuff. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't about that. So in the ingredients on patreon.com slash drink and scream, you can actually find both the ingredients that we use for this drink and the alternative director's cut, I guess. The the Snyder cut of this, (laughs) the one that I actually wanted. Alternate ending. Yeah. So. Um, I'm hoping that you like this. I diluted the whiskey with various other ingredients as much as I could. Diluted the whiskey so Char would like it. <laughs> yeah, I got rid of the pure whiskey and added a bunch of other stuff. It's but- very sweet. I was surprised at how sweet it was, but that's not to say it's bad. I think it's not one of my favorites that you've made, but Mm. it is still an easy drink. Um, And I do feel that like firewood coming from this. That's good. That would be the Mad Lab distilling smoky bitters. Ooh, you just hid that from me. (laughs) Yeah, that smoky flavor is definitely there. Yeah, because I wanted to get the the mood and feeling of chopping the wood and then burning it and that smell of like nature and all that jazz. Yeah. But I also wanted to use the whiskey because I don't think we've used the whiskey this season. Um, I'm not sure. I want to say like maybe maybe with some cider or something. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, so I wanted a nice warm whiskey drink. And I think you like what you made. Yeah, I really like this, actually. Yeah, I can envision what it would taste like with maple syrup instead of honey. And I think I probably would have liked that more. But I think the sweetness of the honey kind of plays well with the whiskey. Yeah. I mean, there's like maple, maple honey whiskey. Isn't like Jack Daniels just full of like sugar? and honey and whiskey or or maple or some shit. They have like an intense honey brand, yeah. Yeah. I would say, actually, though, now that you bring up like real maple syrup, I think if that was used instead of the honey, because I don't even really like honey that much, Mm. I think that's what's making me like not be 100% a fan of this cocktail. But I think with maple syrup, mm, I would definitely enjoy it a lot. I got to go out into the yard and just tap one of the trees. (laughs) Okay, since we're bringing up the yard and growing our own shit, y'all, I made y'all. I'm from Texas. Uh, no, it's the gender neutral way of referring to a group of people. Yeah, exactly. I made a garden and I have little sprouts coming. It's my first time having veggies in my garden. Ooh. I've had a flower garden before, thanks to my mom, but very interested to see where it goes. Hopefully things live enough that we can make a salad. Should have also grown hops and barley and 
potatoes. So that I, I was going to grow potatoes. And then you said, no, don't grow potatoes. Now was, what is it? You want potatoes or not? I don't want to eat the potatoes. I want to let them rot so they become <laughs> liquor. Man, I looked up uh, distilling vodka and it is significantly harder than distilling rum, apparently. Oh, yeah. Damn. So all of the places that we've like liked the vodka that they've made. Props kudos. to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Much kudos. We didn't do a pre-fear for this film, even though we hadn't seen it because we kind of forgot. But that's just a little snippet of what a pre-fear would have been like. Uh, if you're ever curious, we just talk about random stuff. <laughs> Listen, it's it's relevant to the drink at hand. Yeah. Which is outdoorsy and flavorful. Also, if you want a, basically a pre-fear, go listen to Amityville from whenever that 97, 79, whatever. Yeah. We've we've we're done talking about that movie, so I don't care anymore. <laughs> Speaking of this, this episode, we watched the Amityville Horror from 2005. It premiered on April 15th of that year. It's written by Scott Coser, directed by Andrew Douglas as their director debut, by the way. Ooh. And it's based on the book by Jay Anson. This remake stars Ryan Reynolds as possessed father George Lutz, Melissa George as happy new homeowner Kathy Lutz. That kind of tripped me up. I was like, is that a typo? George, George. <laughs> Jesse James as 12 year old son Billy Lutz, Jimmy Bennett as young wide eyed son Michael Lutz and Chloe Grace Martez as dead girl seeing daughter Chelsea Lutz. This synopsis was written by user film underscore fan on IMDb. Thank you. <laughs> we know they like films, so that's good. Yeah. In December 1975, George and Kathy Lutz, along with their three children, move into an elegant Long Island house. What they don't know is that the house was the site of a horrific mass murder a year earlier. They decided to keep the house and attempt to keep the horror in the past, but are now haunted by a murderous presence. This is until George starts to behave weirdly and their daughter Chelsea starts to see people. What follows is 28 days of sheer unbridled terror for the family with demonic visions of the dead. Based on the true story of George and Kathy Lutz, the Amityville Horror remains one of the most horrifying haunted house stories ever told because it actually happened. So George and Melissa decide to get out of the house on a dinner date and George begins to turn back to normal, back to his old self. Meanwhile, the babysitter gets high and frightens the kids by telling them the house's history. Jody, Chelsea's not so imaginary friend, locks the babysitter in the closet and reveals herself to her, causing the babysitter to panic. We find out that she used to babysit for the DeFeos and knew Jody in the past. A few days later, George and Melissa get the oldest brother to watch over the kids instead. When Chelsea asks to go get her stuffy, Billy lets her, of course. The parents get home to Chelsea on top of the roof, about to jump down to follow Jody and see her dad again in heaven. She is saved by George, who once again becomes increasingly awful to the kids. George sees more and more ghosts, continues to hear catch him, kill him over and over, and even kills the family dog thinking it to be a monster. 
Melissa asks a priest to come and bless the house. But when he is scared off, she has to take matters into her own hands and discover what is happening to her family. She finds that the house was built on an ancient Indian reserve where they were tortured by a man named Ketchum and other awful things about the land's history. On the 28th day, we find out George has made coffins for the entire family and is going to kill them all. Melissa rushes to get her kids to safety as the house continues to shut and lock every door in the home, forcing them to make a rooftop escape. Billy smacks George on the head with a pipe. They tie him up and take him out into the middle of the lake where he snaps out of it and the family leave Amityville and their household possessions for good. Very good synopsis. Thank you. I wrote that one. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, some changes in there from the previous film, but let's just hit me with that trailer audio. (laughs) This is the deal of a lifetime. So what's the catch? There was a crime, a, a murder. In the house? Well, houses don't kill people. To a perfect house and to a perfect family. There was a family lived here some time ago. They had a similar problem. I'm living in their house. We need to get out of here and just back up and go. Everything we have is in this house. It's okay, Mommy. Jody won't hurt you. But the man who lives here, Jesus, he's bad. Are you going to talk about it? You can say it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is what you were looking for, was the original Amityville song being used somewhere in the movie. I knew that they would, and then I was very wrong, and they did not. They used it in the trailer, apparently. I guess it's because it was cheaper. I mean, that makes sense. Like, it's cheaper to buy the rights for For the trailer trailer rather than for actually in the film itself. Yeah, or maybe it's one of those things where there's, like, zero communication with the trailer editor, and he's just like, sure, let's throw in the Amityville song, whatever. I mean, they have to pay for it. It was uh, cowboy times in the early aughts. But yeah, that was very interesting. I think the tra- the music really sells it because it's very clear that it is a remake yeah. of the original. The beginning, the first half was really great. I thought it worked really well. And then the second half where they did like super cut, I wasn't a fan. Yeah, it kind of, I, I noticed that the trailer that you got was like the DVD trailer. Mm-hmm. It's like ones that would show up on... I don't know, whatever horror movies came out in 2005. Um, And it gave me strong, like, you wouldn't download a car kind of (laughs) vibes. Or, like, I think when I used to see trailers for um, Disturbia, the Shia LaBeouf one. Yeah. It was, they were always edited like that, where it was very, like, quick cuts of everything. And I think that's kind of the reason why I didn't watch Disturbia when I was a kid, because... I associated that editing with like scary movies that are going to give me nightmares. I mean, Disturbia is scary. But it's like people scary. Exactly. The editing, that sort of (laughs) editing always makes me think of like ghost scary for some reason. And uh, well, that is what this movie is about. Yes. So interesting. Mm. Do you want to go into your uh, thoughts on this movie? Sure. I mean, it kind of talks, it kind of jumps into my first point about how the biggest change for this remake is the way that the house haunts the family. Yeah. And that's through the ghosts because in this version, we actually see ghosts and we see shadows moving in the home. We see more of the visions that George has to deal with. And there are also a lot more jump scares in oh, this yeah. film. A lot more jump scares. 
in that there were no jump scares in the original. (laughs) I was going to say one of them really got me good. Bathroom jump scares always do. For me, I hate bathrooms in horror movies. I know, especially if they have like a vanity with a mirror and they open it. I'm like, oh, God, something's going to be there when they close it. A lot of like modern movies have been like playing on that where they'll close it and nothing's there. But then they'll turn around and something's Ah! there. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to point out that, I mean, it was featured in the trailer. Also, I liked what they did with the main ghost that was used of Jodie DeFeo. Oh, yeah. She was very creepy, but she was still very sweet. In a way, like the worst scene was definitely the babysitter in the closet where she like forced the babysitter to shove her finger in her bullet hole. Which was strange and and kind of like unnecessary. Yeah. Assaulty. It was very odd. I don't like forcing. Yeah. But um, it was just cool to be able to see that character more. And it was also very cool that uh, Chelsea's doll that she's been carrying around, which by the way, I mean, Kelly knows this, but all you listeners out there, I have a doll that looks very similar. Yeah. A plushy cat named Zip. It was the same color. Yeah. And like shape. And it's really old. So it's (laughs) the same vibe. And it was buried with a dead girl. So just like, this movie. Yeah. The uh yeah, cuz in the original we don't see Jody, so you kind of assume that maybe Jody's like a demon or something sinister. Yeah. kind of thing cuz like I don't know, kids are dumb. They'll talk to anything. <laughs> but in this one you actually see that Jody is the younger sister of Ronnie, the guy who killed his family. Yeah. So there's sort of like that that feeling of like feeling bad for the ghost, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that reveal of like I forget exactly what he says, but he reveals that the stuffed animal that Chelsea's been playing with is Jody's stuffed animal that she was buried with. Yeah. Is pretty intense. And then the camera's like, dur, dur, dur. zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the ghosts question mark. They're like, cause we see Jody get like attacked by other ghosts quite frequently in the, yeah. Are those just supposed to be the indigenous people in the basement that were killed? Or? That's what I was assuming. Yeah. But I, that overlap is kind of cool. Like of the past histories of the home. Yeah. Cause it was like, we thought in the beginning that those were the ghosts of the rest of the family, but yeah. they had been like mutated somehow or something or it was the brother's ghost I don't know it was kind of strange until we learned what was actually in the basement yeah which was definitely more expanded upon than in the original I think they took more liberties with the fictitious nature of this based on real events story the uh, Ash Ketchum the torture murderer that killed a bunch (laughs) of people in the basement he really had to kill them all yeah I also did, before I move on to my next point, want to point out that like the other change I really noticed was they barely had any religion in the film, which seemed to be something that was like the undercurrent of the first one. Yeah. Except, of course, they did keep the scene of the priest coming to bless the home and having the flies attack him and the get out. Which now that I think about it, they didn't talk. Neither movie really touched on it, but you kind of just assume that the reason that they're saying get out is because it's like, some hell demon that's like, oh, religion, gross, get out of here. Yeah. But it was literally a reverend that was killing all of those people in the basement. It makes sense that those those lost souls wouldn't want another holy man in the house. Yeah. So it wasn't so much that a devil was like, get out of here, God's gross, blah, blah, blah. It was literally, hey, you're just like the guy who tortured and killed us for years, so 
you know, get the fuck out of our house. Yeah, that's really interesting take. I was going to say that the awful events that happened here were like the feeding ground for more of a demonic possession of the home in general. But I, I like your interpretation more. Yeah, because they didn't talk. They didn't have like a hell well like they did in the original. Yeah, one. it was literally like the ground was tainted because of the terrible things that this reverend had done. If anything, it was like the boathouse took on more of that hell well role. Yeah, because Be- the bodies were there. Yeah. But even then, with the climax, the way it was, it it was different. It was different. Yeah. And now that I think about it, I think I I don't know if we ever talk about the like is it indigenous representation in horror movies. Yeah. But like they didn't like talk about it at all. But I kind of the like angry spirits that aren't demonic is more interesting than like people were tortured here. Therefore, hell opened up. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like I I think I mentioned this while we were watching the movie, but like. The indigenous uh, burial ground kind of trope is always like, oh, indigenous people are scary and their burial grounds are haunted kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But if like the way that you should be interpreting it is that colonialism made all of these spirits angry and they're taking it out on people. And this wasn't even just an indigenous burial ground. It was like. It was, it was a torture a, chamber. Yeah. yeah. Even worse than residential schools, which in and of themselves are torture fucking chambers. Blah. And um, then. But what I said while we were watching the movie was I I kind of like the idea of um, ghosts that had been colonized coming back and making a bunch of white people kill each other. Yes. That should be the frame as it's like revet, like comeuppance for the colonial people. It's definitely like a revenge film. Yeah, totally. Even if that in itself is kind of gross. It's like all they want is revenge where it's like probably just wanted peace. Yeah. There are stages of grief, you know, it's only been a few hundred years. (laughs) Exactly. You know, when you're dead, the stages of grief elongate Mm -hmm. to like centuries. And then I wanted to talk about another change that happened in the film, which was that the best part about the original film was obviously the dog. And in this one, (laughs) dun, 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 Ryan Reynolds kills the dog. God, he sees the dog as this ghost in the boathouse. And he's not in his right mind, obviously, because he's been like slowly seeping out all of his personality from the house. And he tries to defend himself against this ghost that seems to be attacking him. But then it's just him. I knew it. Him axing the fucking family border collie. I mean, leading up to that scene, we've been really bad at not remembering to check. Does the dog die for trigger warnings? Yeah. And like as that scene was coming up on my phone, I was like, let's see. And then sure enough, I was like, yep, okay." Even (laughs) in the comments, it said that it was unnecessary. Yeah, I didn't watch it. I turned away, but I did. They gave us a warning even like before that scene, because when the babysitter is in the house, she talks about how the what's his name? Ronnie. Yeah. How Ronnie killed the dog like a week before. He killed his family, and that was very uh, similar to the time frame that we were at in the movie. And I, I was just clicking things together right before it happened, and then you confirmed it on your phone. <laughs> and I was like, okay, looking away. The demon that they made for when the dog is running at him kind of looked like the Wendigo from Until Dawn. Yes. It was just like a pale, gray, thin creature sprinting at him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, in that situation... I feel like I would do the same thing because it's a big creepy monster running at me. Yeah. And I don't want it to attack me. 
in my brain, I'm like, but he was drawn to the boathouse because the dog was barking. But dogs would probably bark at a creepy pale monster running around the boathouse. Yeah. Yeah. Blah, let's move on. <laughs> um, speaking about the babysitter, I did want to say I wanted to call attention to this character in the film, which was a huge like 180 turn from the babysitter in the original. They hypersexualized her incredibly in this film. She had on an iconic 70s outfit for like a day out in the summer sun. She had the long stick straight hair, her low rise jeans and a crop top tied just underneath her boobs. And I just I'm all for wearing whatever you want to wear. All power to you. But that is not what I would wear <laughs> if I was going to babysit three young children. It was also clearly like when people are like, oh, well, women, why can't women wear whatever they want? It's like this was clearly written by a man. Yeah, it's very male gazy. I had to check if that if Weinstein was an EP on this movie, yeah. because that's like, I mean, Michael Bay. Yeah, this general like time period had a lot of Weinstein stink on it. So mm-hmm. you kind of got to check. And she was like hitting on the 12 year old boy. Kid. Yeah, it was very assaulty. I did not appreciate it. Every shot of her was like long pans as she's lying on the bed. They like focus on her tongue. They I didn't include it in the scary facts, but they literally changed the script and the poster on the wall because they found out the babysitter actress had such a long tongue. They wanted to play on that. So it's not even like that was part of the script. It's literally them objectifying this actress. I mean, all the power to her. She was great. Yeah. They (laughs) changed it to kiss because he's got a long tongue. too. Yeah. Gene Simmons. Exactly. Yeah. And like I in the original one, the babysitter didn't really have it coming, but I guess they wanted to like really make you hate the babysitter to explain why Jody tried to kill her. But couldn't they just use one of the other ghosts? Yeah, it was very odd. And then like Jody does. I mean, she's stuck in this house. They do. Like you said earlier, like they make you care for her. But she also does very awful things. Like she makes Chelsea want to jump off the roof yeah. to commit suicide to be with her dad. I wonder if it, that is Jody or if it is the creatures, because I can't remember who said it, but it was like. She was like, Jody hates what the guy, the people here are making her do or something. Yeah. So it's almost like the other ghosts are like using Jody as like a smoke screen. Yeah, that's true. Could be. But yeah, I just that babysitter was definitely weird. I didn't appreciate it. It just felt so unnecessary. It felt like gross. Yeah, it was like um, <laughs> there's going to be a, a good cut. Pre- prepare for an amazing English literature cut. Ooh. Uh, the drunkard. In Shakespeare is just a 180 from the themes of the play and kind of, you know, comic relief style. Yeah, uh, it's almost like this over sexualized teenager was supposed to be like comic relief or something Which, or like horny relief. <laughs> yeah, because even then, like the son is like, I don't need a babysitter. And I agree. If you're 12, you can basically take care of your kids. Your siblings for like a few hours, but um, not when they're fucking climbing on the roof. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Getting lost in the bozo house. (laughs) But when the babysitter shows up, the dad and Billy have this like moment of him realizing, oh, she's hot. Yeah. Are you sure you don't want a babysitter? And then he should (laughs) have looked at the camera and winked and then like laugh track plays. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. And then the last thing I'm just going to tag on to this with this weird sexualization and like 
awkward 2000s vibe of this film is that I didn't want to forget to bring up the line that George says <laughs> later on in this like moment. He's at the on the dinner date with Melissa and she asks him if he was trying to get her drunk and they're having like a really nice time because he's very himself when he's not in the house. Yeah. But then during this really nice flirtatious time, he's like, well, that's the thing about marriage. Hopefully I won't have to mm, like get her drunk yeah. to have sex with her. And I'm like, barf! Mm. Hated that. Ugh. It was so cringy. It made me really not like him. And then I was, it sort of started like sparks flying in my mind because I know that her mom doesn't like him either. So I'm yeah. like, is he kind of a dick? Maybe it's like when all your friends are like, you don't, you shouldn't be with him. He's a terrible guy and you don't believe them kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Which then it kind of devolves into that from the house, but it's very abusive relationship, domestic violence, like huge by the end of this film. It's intense. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much you have about this, when I looked up the scaredy facts for the 97 version. Yeah. Uh, apparently nine, uh, whatever it was. It had Nirvana in it, you know, <laughs> um, the 79 version. Apparently the, the Lutz, the Lutzes had actually gotten divorced at some point. Oh, OK. And I don't know if that was to do with um, the like trauma of this event that had happened to them, kind of like adding yeah. a split to their thing. But I feel like the. um uh, optics of this movie probably didn't help with that where it's like maybe they got divorced for regular ass reasons but if somebody watches this and doesn't look closely into their actually li actual lives they might draw some weird assumptions yep I agree bad PR for a real life <laughs> human being out there yeah I have a little bit about PR but um, not too much uh, surprisingly very little scaredy facts actually for uh, this one yeah it almost feels like one of those movies that flies under the radar. Yeah. But I guess we'll have to see how much the budget was and how much they got on returns. Mm-hmm. But in the... Or is that your last point of that fact? That is. Then in the meantime, it's time for... Whispers from Beyond. In this segment of our podcast, we'll take any lovely comments that you listeners leave to us or not so lovely comments. We don't discriminate. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll read them out on the podcast to celebrate you, the listener, and all the support that you've shown us in the past. So if you want a shout out, leave us a review. You know, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, tag us on Twitter. Anything works. Get some demons to call out our names in the night. You know. Yeah. So this is from Ned Donovan on Podchaser. This was actually a review from last year, and I can't remember if we read it on the show or not. So just in case, I'm going to read it again. Or you get a double one. Whoa. Movie review podcasts are not my cup of tea. This one might have made me a convert. Fantastic hosts, well-focused on the listener experience, a unique overall premise, and a joy to listen to for audio quality. <gasps> Five stars at it. Nice. Thanks, Ned. That was pretty cool. <laughs> it sounds familiar, but if we did read it already, this is the remake with Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Aha, good. That was my plan all along. Yeah, it's a remake. <laughs> We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. 
Looking to add some spooky fun to your home decor? Then step into our parlor. The Spider and Fly carries everything from classic monster ceramic bathroom sets, Ouija board cutting boards, embroidered horror towels, printed mugs, and our new line of creature candles. Our horror fabric masks will keep you safe and stylish during the pandemic. Available in several horror designs, we also offer custom printing services. Get your favorite spooky design on a wallet, mug, puzzle, or cutting board. The Spider and Fly can be found on Etsy. Etsy.com slash store slash the spider and fly. Use code drinking to save 10% off in their store. This season of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by American Nightmare Candle Company. Discount time. Get 10% off your order on their Etsy page with code Drink and Scream. Bring the horror into your home with the handmade soy wax candle from American Nightmare Candle Company. The scents are inspired by locations iconic to the horror genre. Places like the Overlook Hotel, Sleepy Hollow, and Elm Street. Each fragrance combination is carefully curated to transport you into the story, and the catalog is ever-evolving. Available for purchase at Etsy.com slash Nightmare Candle Co. Also, Evil Amy sent us even more bath bombs. Woo. Relax with your favorite scented bath bombs. Evil Amy has a variety to choose from, including Witch's Brew, Vampire Ash, Wolf's Bane, and even more delicious scents. Manufactured by Fantasy Soapworks, these are exclusive to Evil Amy's Terror Shop. Get yours, they ship globally, at EvilAmy'sTerrorShop.com. And you can even get 10% off your purchase with code EVIL10. This season of drinking and screaming would not be possible without the support from Mad Lab Distillery. This drink uses their smoky bitters, which is personally one of my favorites because it makes everything taste like it's a little bit, a little bit toasted. Mm, a little campfire. bit A little bit campfire You can get their awesome stuff at madlabdistilling.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, on Facebook at drink and scream, and you can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, go to drinkingandscreaming.com. Back to the episode! Get out! But really stay for the rest of the episode. Get get out once the episode's done. <laughs> Do you have some thoughts? No. Surprisingly for once on this podcast, I don't. Oh, so okay. let's move on. <laughs> ah, scaredy facts. No, it's too early. Uh, no, I do. I have a few a few points of my own. Uh, my first one. It's funny. We were talking about this with the trailer about the like snap cut editing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I r- really didn't like the presence of that in this movie. It's uh, it's all over the place in terms of like quick cut editing and like yeah. dramatic zooms and like weird over dramatic filters and whatnot. It kind of reminded me of Saw a little bit. Which I know that when we watched Saw for the first time, you were like, no, that's the style that the director was going for, especially like during the action-y scenes near the end. Yeah. And it's just so of its time. Like this came out mid 2000s. Yeah. I saw someone mention it as like MTV editing of like the camera spiraling around people and like looking at the camera and be like, we're going to play some NSYNC. Here's Justin Timberlake coming at you. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. My name's Ch- DJ Jeff, Johnny James. And I'm, I'm on MTV and my hair's so spiky. I got so much gel that if you touch my head, my hair will break off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, kind of like that a little bit. That uh, really painted a picture for me. Good, good, good. Yeah. I'm glad. And there's a lot of that throughout the movie, so much so that I'm like, <sighs> did maybe people liked that back then? I guess that was kind of it's yeah. it's like meme culture. We we have a style that we like when we're in that moment, and then we look back at it and we're like, ooh, cringe. Yeah, oops. exactly. Oh, it's no. like when your Facebook posts come back and you're like, oh god, delete it. Ooh, ooh oops. <laughs> yep. That's so anytime I open up my DeviantArt page, I'm like, oh, oh no, oh, oh no, please, nope. <laughs> So I guess in that regard, like I can appreciate that that was what was hip at the time. Um, so I can kind of brush it aside. But like now it's just sort of not great. And as you mentioned, there was a lot more jump uh, jump scares in the movie. But they were like very they didn't deserve them. I guess they didn't build up to them. Right. Mm. Like nowadays, when we see jump scares in like a movie that's really good, there's like a sort of build up or like foreshadowing i guess for the jump scare that's gonna happen an yeah. artisanal jump scare that's been well crafted and and maintained before it happens but Biggest this one is like roll. yes <laughs> <laughs> hand handcrafted wooden artisanal jump scares mm-hmm. is what i want and that was not in this film <laughs> no these were like some store-bought shelf life ikea jump, jump scare. scares yeah um <laughs> specifically the the bathroom one that you said like that one got me but we never established what that was but then it came back at the end we see the same ghost yeah sure but like when anytime we saw jody we knew that it was the sister but like at that time our mind was kind of wrapped up in this family that had been murdered and these things that were jumping up didn't represent those yeah there was just no foreshadowing as to why these random mutated looking creatures were popping up and it, I don't know, it just kind of made it cheap in the beginning, even though we learn what they are in the at the end. It sort of cheapens the jump scare in the beginning if there's no context given to why these spooky monsters are popping up. Hmm. Anyways, that's my first point is just, you know, it's too loud. This, this, <laughs> this early aughts movie is too loud for me. That's all right. You're getting, allowed to think that. Getting old. Almost that 3-0. Anyways, my second point. <laughs> this is turning to a dark, dark vision here. Movies are getting too loud for me. <laughs> uh, my second point is when we reviewed the uh, 79 one, I talked about how kids are dumb and they're not used well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually like how the kids were utilized in this movie much better than the 79 one. They were also really good. They chose great actors for oh, this. Oh, heck yes. And each of the kids played a role in this one, each of them like kind of represented something. So like Billy was the one who was like always skeptical of George and kind of played like a rival character the entire time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael was the kid that kind of represented like George's actual genuine connection to these kids. And he sort of, you could see like the struggle the entire time of George trying to like maintain this positive relationship with Michael, but occasionally the possession would like spill out. Take over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Spill out, I like that. Spill out, yeah. Just spill this angry jump scare all over this kid. He couldn't contain it. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when we see him, like, hug him after yelling and being like, I'm sorry. Like, you could see that that was so early on in the possession that he's, like, genuinely upset that it's kind of affecting him and Michael's relationship right now. Uh, and then, of course, Chelsea, uh, who kept almost dying. <laughs> and I kind of saw her as, like, representing the destination that George was going toward which was basically like full control uh, from the ghosts. Like Jody was basically like, you take your eyes off her for a second. And she's sticking her hand on a hot stove or something. Yeah. And like George was kind of like getting in that direction. So it sort of like represented 
what the ghosts were capable of. And I kind of I liked that each three kids kind of played this sort of stage in George's possession a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. Rather than just halfway through the movie, the director just forgetting that there were kids on set. I suppose. Yeah, whatever. You know, they show up at the end when they're in the truck and the dog comes and it's all fine. Or the yeah, in that version, that's the better version. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the like and we see George like torture these kids over the course of the movie, mm-hmm. um, having uh, Billy hold up the uh, wood for him when he's chopping. And that whatnot. was awful. Yeah, that was awful. And uh, yeah, so I just I liked that this director knew how to use kids, I guess. Also, Chloe's just fucking rad. She's awesome. She- yeah, she's in a lot of horror. She's in kick ass. I like her a lot. Yeah, she's cool. And this was her first movie? Yes. yes. I had a scarcity fact about oh, that. Sorry. But yes, it was her first movie. Film she's, debut and she knocked it out of the park. She's one of those actresses where you like see her face when she's younger and you can just see the like that old version. Yeah, like yeah. Her, the middle of her face stayed the exact same and everything around it just got bigger. Agreed. And my final point is that contrary to the like editing and jump scare that I didn't really like. Mm -hmm. I really liked the visions that George got throughout the movie. Those were like the most like shuddery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I liked the existence of them. Okay. (laughs) More, more so than the way that they showed up. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause like in the original George just sort of devolves, which is also cool. Like seeing the, the exterior of his, his possession Mm -hmm. is neat, but also seeing like, George, I was going to say Ryan, just seeing like George walk into the kid's room and he's like seeing a vision of himself shooting the kids and then all of these like different um, sort of like degrading versions of him becoming more and more possessed were actually like pretty neat and entertaining to watch. They definitely took it farther and had more of that like gradient climax uh, than the first one, which I think is what this movie did really well. Yeah. And then like when he finally is in the basement discovering all of these people that had been tortured and then finally seeing the reverend slit his throat. It was neat. I liked the progression of that, those visions. And my favorite one was when we see him like during the climax of the movie, pick up the axe and like hack Kathy in the chest. And I knew that this movie had been taking liberties with the original story, so part of me was like, holy fuck, are they actually going to kill her? Is this movie going to end with like George killing everyone yeah. or the mom dying? And then it jumps back to that was just a vision that he was getting. And I was like, oh, my God, that was so good. That was wild. Also, I just realized you called her Kathy and I was like, wait, but I've been saying Melissa this whole time. Melissa is the actress's name <laughs> and the character's name is Kathy. My bad. And did, how could you not forget? He says, Kath, Kathy, Catherine. Yeah. When they first start the movie. And I was like, is that remind you what her name is? <laughs> and I forgot anyways. It's like, actually, that worked for me because you know how like people tell you if you're hard, you're bad at remembering names to say the person's name a few times when you first meet them. Oh, okay. When they're like, hey, my name's Jeffrey. And you're like, hey, Jeffrey, 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 Jeffrey. And it's supposed to like implant it in your mind. Oh. Him saying Kath, Kathy, Catherine helped Helped me. Helped it stick for you? Yeah. Nice. But I agree that that moment was very shocking for me. Mm -hmm. When she finally got that axe, I was like, oh, they're making big changes here. (laughs) All right. Killed the dog, killing the wife. Oof going off the rails here. But then JK, it was just a vision. 
I was trying to find there's a scene in I think like Infinity War or something where um you see them all fail, but then it was just uh Doctor Strange having like a vision of what could possibly happen, but I couldn't find a clip, so I might be thinking of something else. Twilight? Does that oh yeah. I mean, no, that wasn't what I was thinking about, but that happens in Twilight, yeah. yes. Which was really cool. I liked that. Um, in theaters, that'll that'll never nothing will ever top my shock of that <laughs> scene in fucking Twilight. Oh boy. I mean, that's a I was good like, way this to... is so different than the books. <laughs> what is happening? That's a good way to play with fans, actually. Just play with their expectations. And it was a really good way to like add a lot of conflict to that finale add of that scene. Cinematics to it. <laughs> yeah, of that film. Yep. Um, but yeah, so like when he stands up and pulls out that axe and hits her in the chest, I'm like, oh shit. Okay. And then when he when it reverted, I was like, all right, good job. Cool, 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 I accept cool. that. <laughs> we also don't really talk about it, but like the drastic change as soon as he leaves the house in this version. Yeah. And like we sort of mentioned the incline that he takes of becoming more and more abusive. But really, to me, there's no coming back from that. No, it like- was intense. <laughs> like the abuse that the kids faced of just like verbal abuse. But then. As you said, like the wood chopping scene was yeah. hard to watch. No kid's going to. I mean, he apparently had an abusive dad because he said, what was it? When the body suffers, the spirit flourishes or something. Yeah. I That's mean, that my, was about the kid chopping wood as a physical task for punishment. Yeah, he took it a bit far. Not but, holding a block <laughs> of wood while someone else chops it. But in the original movie, when we see him at like the bar with his partner, he's still like down and out and like feeling like shit and whatnot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was like just immediately as soon as george walked off the property in this one he's like oh hey guys how's it going fam yeah. which what? i wonder is they and they show that a bunch of times like when he's at the doctor's office at the dinner date and at the boat in the final scene so i'm like is that supposed to show us why the mom is like forgiving him why kathy will yeah, i think still- that's it contain the family because even so like which is kind of a reflection of a abusive relationship where it's like you know you don't see him when he's in his best yeah yeah anyways i was in our basement the other day oh you know as i just go down to the basement once in a while mm-hmm. and With i heard your blanket some, and your little clock yeah 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 uh and at exactly three fifteen, i heard some whispers do you know what those whispers said i am not sure what did they say they said it's time to open the Reconomicon! Lightning, 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 lightning. I think we have lightning in our actual audience. <laughs> Whatever. My recommendation is The Shining, but the miniseries from 1997. Ooh. Every time that Stephen King tries to put his books on screen like by himself, they are just the worst. So the miniseries of The Shining is no exception. It is awful. <laughs> so it, just it kidding, is, it's bad. It is terrible. So go watch it. Uh, that's The Shining uh, miniseries from 1997. I can see the thim- similar themes, though. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I was going to say the original Shining, but I forgot the miniseries exists and it's just awful. 
My recommendation is Deadline from 2009. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember it having very similar haunted house themes. And of course, like the overall similar 2000s horror movie tone. It stars Brittany Murphy as she isolates herself in a home while trying to finish a novel. And that's Deadline from 2009. I don't think I've seen this movie. I it was, as I said, a while since I've seen it, but I remember it being really scary for me. I'm curious. I was a scaredy cat back oh, they, in the day. I, I just Googled it and they used the same like Instagram ghoul f- uh, filter for the faces that they use in this movie. <laughs> 2009. That's yeah. what I'm saying. We uh, we had to invent this rotoscoping technology to get ghoul faces on people. But mm-hmm. in 2021, you just open up Instagram and you're good to go. <laughs> it's time for Da-da-da! Scaredy Facts. For those of you just joining us for the first time, or for those of you who like the story like I do, this is the part of our show where we invite you into our lives, into our relationship as we snuggle under the covers on the couch or in bed. As after we watch a horror movie, we go on to IMDb and other trivia sites to try and remind ourselves that this was just a movie, that um, there are actors behind the characters and the jump scares. And in this case, real ass human beings. <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. <laughs> so starting with the budget, this was an estimated 19 million to create (laughs) and as you said earlier we would see if this was an under the rock film or not well let me tell you opening weekend they made 23.5 million nice worldwide gross 107.5 million oh boy so definitely not an under the rock film which is so weird that i hadn't really heard much about it i feel like ryan reynolds around this time was like a huge comedy icon so yeah. i wonder how many people from that original opening went to like uh because what was that employee of the month i think he was in with um dane cook it was fuck it was like ryan reynolds and dane cook just all the way down until Dane Cook spiraled and crashed into a hill. <laughs> he was I also like super jacked in this film, which I'm like, was it right by Green Lantern? Green Lantern. Ooh. Let me see when Green Lantern. 2011 was Green Lantern. Damn it. What was around 2005? Maybe he just was really. Why fat were you always. jacked, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what were you in? <laughs> I mean, it was intense. I wasn't complaining. OK, let me see. <laughs> Oh, he's in Just Friends when he had to get super jacked because it was the... Because it was like, haha, fat phobia. Yeah, and I had to get jacked because... Love that movie. Can't be fat. Boo. Is that why? Is that why he was so jacked in this movie? I don't know, but whatever. Skinny bags! Just before <laughs> shooting started, the body of a fisherman who had been murdered washed up on the bank of the river right by the main house. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. This wasn't even where... They weren't. They didn't film on location. It wasn't the real. That was house, an entirely different house. But still, a dead body showed up. Also during filming, many cast and crew members started to wake up at three fifteen, I mean, which that, is the same time that Ron DeFeo Jr. murdered his family. That kind of makes sense because it starts getting that time in your head. So your body's internal clock is like, oh, you really care about this time. We should better wake Make you up. up for that. Exactly. Bodies are weird. Yeah, you they're, can like they're be, gross. <laughs> sometimes be like, oh, I have to wake up at seven and then you forget to set up your alarm. But then you still wake up at seven if you've told yourself that. It's yeah, very they're, interesting. They're cool. <laughs> We already said that Chloe Grace Mortez was uh, this was her debut film, but also she did most of her own stunts and she was what? only eight years old. 
are you allowed to do that? <laughs> is that okay that they did that? Well, I mean, there's st- even if it's a stunt, you're still protected with wires and crash mats and whatever. But yeah, she did most of them herself. Nice. Also, I while you were talking, I looked up when Melissa George was in Grey's Anatomy, uh, and it was 2008. So it was a bit after, after this. After this film. I'm surprised you didn't mention that she was in Grey's Anatomy. Well, I did when we were talking. But yes, all of you know how much I love Grey's Anatomy. I watch it all the time. And this is Death and Dying from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, I was going to say Kathy Bates. Kathy Lutz. <laughs> <laughs> Something that was interesting was that Ryan Reynolds chose not to become close with his movie children. He wasn't like rude or mean to mm. them, but he kept himself very distant. And it actually made the kids think like confide to other members on the set that Ryan didn't like them and they weren't sure why, but he specifically did it so that he wouldn't like fall in love with the kids so that when George Lutz starts to change and become this like verbally abusive dad, he could have no trouble easing into that. That's fair. That's a lot better than what a lot of method actors would do. (laughs) Treat the kids like actual trash. Yeah. So I just walked around set screaming at children. It really helped me get into into the character. Yeah. Okay. We you asked this earlier. You were like, how much of this like defamation information do you have? Mm. So here we go. MGM claimed the remake was based on new information uncovered during research of the original events. But George Lutz later claimed that nobody ever spoke to him or his family about the project. When he initially heard it was underway, his attorney contacted the studio to find out what they had in the planning stages and to express Lutz's belief that they didn't have the right to proceed without his input. Three letters were sent to production and none were acknowledged. In June 2004, the studio filed a motion for declaratory relief in federal court, insisting that they had the right to do a remake and let's countersued, citing violations of the original contract that had continued through the years following the release of the first film. The case remained unsolved when Lutz died in May 2006, a year later. Ooh, ouch. Yeah. I wonder if that... Well, I mean, I feel like most studios would take advantage of the story now that they know that nobody can sue them unless the kids would start doing it. But do we know if uh, Conjuring is three or four now? Three is coming out. The devil made me do it. Is that Amityville? Is that going to be the Amityville horror? I actually haven't even seen the trailer. Ooh, do we want to watch the trailer or go in Blind? blind? I don't know. Because the, the name give stuff away. And I know that I'll like The Conjuring 3. So yeah, I might we'll as watch well it not anyway. It. But the, the subtitle, The, the Devil, Devil Made, made me, me Do it, it, makes me think that it might be Amityville, which Ooh. then I'm like, are they doing... Maybe I mean, they do a good job usually of making the possessed families seem nice in The Conjuring, <laughs> so maybe it'll be a nice George. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the attic windows and the vaguely Dutch colonial style, you pointed this out, Kelly, the reproduction of the house doesn't resemble the actual house in Amityville at all, as uh, it was at the time of the events that were supposed to have taken place. Yeah, there's like a big, weird, like, bay window area. In this one. Yeah, the whole porch is just like big porch windows. Yeah. But when people think of this house, they just think of those evil eye windows. Just looks like a big ass barn to me. Yeah. The like, and I think the windows are cool. Yeah. I wouldn't change them. It like the, there's like the Ivy in the middle. Is that supposed to be a nose? And then it doesn't (laughs) look like a face. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, very important scaredy fact. In reality, the Lutz's dog, Harry, did survive, unlike as depicted in this film. Good. Yeah, that doggo lived a long, happy life. It. Yeah, I feel like not a lot in this movie was real. <laughs> Blink and you'll miss it. <laughs> I had to include this just because it was stupid. Ryan Reynolds wore special contact lenses in many scenes to make his eyes seem black with just a white ring around them or a touch of red. I'm sorry, did you say blink and you'll miss it? Because specifically if Ryan, Ryan Reynolds blinks, we won't be able to see this fact. Yeah, totally. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the realtor's car <laughs> is a pale blue 1966 Chevrolet Impala. Ooh. The family car is a burgundy 1968 GMC Suburban. Ooh. And the priest car is a tan 1966 Chevrolet Chevelle wagon. I'm sorry, what's a Chevrolet? A Chevy. I like that the cars in this version are older than the cars in the older version. Yeah. Yeah. Like funny. We pointed out when we watched the 79 one that all of the cars were like 76 to 79, whereas in this one, they went much older for some reason. But it makes sense, though, especially for the family car, because they aren't rich. That's so why true. would they have a new car? I don't know. Cars were like 20 bucks back in the day. Yeah. Things were so fucking cheap. <laughs> Everyone had it so easy. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of my scaredy facts, which means it's time for final thoughts. My final thought is that I want more Ryan Reynolds serious roles. I mean, I imagine that he likes doing comedy and he's good at it. But um, that one movie we watched with him where he was looking for his daughter. I love that movie. Did a really good job in that one. I can't think of a lot of dramatic roles that he's been in, but he does a very good job. Like he's still got that like stepdad energy of the the jokes. Got got to make them jokes and them kids like me. Yeah. But then when he goes buck wild and starts getting really like intensely possessed, he does a really good job, and I liked it. The movie, by the way, I just wanted to Google it because we've mentioned it a few times now. It's from 2014. It's called The Captive. So an extra Reconomicon uh, insertion there. But yeah, I agree totally with you. And my final thought is just that it's no secret that I like this version way more than the original. But I do think that I wouldn't call this film a classic. No. But at least it didn't become a massive waste of time that I watched it, <laughs> even if it wasn't a classic. So that's my hot take. Yeah, it felt like <laughs> it didn't take a long time to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's been the Amityville Horror from 2005, a movie about a house that just wants to be left the hell alone. Next week, we'll be watching The Chopping Mall from 1986. And remember, always scream responsibly. And Bye! Get out! <laughs> Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and local designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 